Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 347 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the cookie creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio. Happy September! Yay! It's my birthday month. It's my birthday month. It's my kids' birthday month. We're going to Nashville for our birthday trip this year. We have taken a birthday trip every year for four years. This will be our fourth trip. The first year we went to Big Sur. The second year, we went to Portland, Oregon. The third year, we went to Boston and Salem, Massachusetts. And this year, we are going to Nashville, Tennessee to see Third Man Records because Jack White is my rock god. (laughs) I'm also going to try on cowboy boots. That is way outside the realm of what I define as my personal style. But I'm interested in trying something new. So we're going to listen to country music and we're going to try on cowboy boots. Maybe I'll buy some. I'll definitely share a picture of that if I decide to buy cowboy boots. Because if you know me in person, you would be like, cowboy boots? You do not wear cowboy boots. You don't wear any cowboy anything. (laughs) It just, I don't know. I just feel like kind of pushing the limits of how I define and see myself. So might just end up being a little try-on session, or it might actually turn into me spending 200 bucks on a pair of boots. <laughs> we, we shall see. I also, because it is my birthday month, I'm going to be sharing here and there, I already shared this in the newsletter, uh, just some special fun discounts. The Psycho Spiritual Wheel of the Year is an ongoing program. It just goes around and around and around, just like the Wheel of the Year goes around and around and around. And lately, I have been been doing deep discounts because I haven't been able to hang out in the private Facebook group. I have been able to. I have chosen not to. Let me say it that way. On Facebook, there's a private Facebook group, and I haven't been in there much this year, largely because... I dislike Facebook intensely. (laughs) I really love the group of people who have gathered in this group. Uh, They're amazing. They're the nicest, coolest, most magical people on the internet. I'm convinced of it. Um, So I'm, I'm I'm going to be working on getting back in there. But I've been doing deep discounts because I just have been focusing on other things and restructuring my business like... I quit my old structures, all the structures that were holding up my business, all the rhythms, all of the uh, the schedules that I had, so I could just kind of step away and reassess. Summer is an amazing time to do that because if you have an online business, you know things really, really slow down in the summer. People go on vacation, so I just wanted to take a step back. So I've been doing like these super deep discounts for the modules as they come up. Uh, because 
my focus hasn't been there and I'm like, hey, we better do like a little sale or something to tell people that it's it's another turn of the wheel. And also just because I haven't been as involved in the Facebook group. Um, but as I'm putting new structures back in place, I'm going to be showing up there a couple times a week. I think I have to do it on a timer. <laughs> this is what it's come to in my business. I have to time my social media use and my Facebook group use. So I like set a timer for 15 minutes and I just go. I talk to as many people as I can for 15 minutes and then I'm out. This really, I really started noticing this when I started adding up, like what does an hour of your time turn into over the course of a year? 365. Do I want to spend 365 hours of my life every single year doing this one thing. When I started breaking down like the minutes and hours of my life, holy smokes, some very radical decisions started being made. <laughs> it changed me. It's Working with Saturn has changed me. And I, I need to talk about that again at some point because it's just this ongoing process of one revelation after the next. So the next turn of the wheel of the year is autumn equinox. I love fall. I love when the wheel turns and we start heading into the season of pumpkin everything as it's so famously known now. Uh, so the autumn equinox module of the Psycho Spiritual Wheel of the Year, it has an illustrated PDF with journal prompts and the themes are priorities and action, the law of diminishing returns, the principle of antagonism, making your life strong, and then there is always a Crafty Witch Project, which is a video, and the one for the Autumn Equinox is called the Reward Board. I remember when I first created that program, I was thinking, I don't know if people are going to like this because it's so personal development-y, <laughs> but uh, people loved it. We've had a couple of years where I made a big deal about it and everybody was doing the reward boards together and that was really, really fun. And then they all come with a potion craft. So the potion craft is a vegan pumpkin spice latte recipe. So you can get $30 off. That is more than half off when you follow the link wherever it is around here and put in at checkout before you pay. <laughs> put in at checkout all the things, no spaces, all lowercase, all the things, and it should roll the price back for you. It should take $30 off the price and you should see that happening. If that does not happen, something is wrong. You do not have the right code. I just wanted to make sure you know that so you don't write me and be like, what happened? I didn't get the discount. You will see the discount. Gumroad will literally roll it back right in front of your eyeballs. It's very cool like that. And I've tested it out myself on several browsers, <laughs> so I know it works. That's not even what I want to talk about today, but I just wanted you to know that's there, and I'm creating this awesome discount. I think I'm going to have another really cool discount coming up next week. Uh, one of the things that I am changing about my business going forward is I'm really going to be focusing more on uh, interviews here on the podcast. And going back to doing monthly themes. I stopped doing that for a while when I was just kind of like, let's explode all the structures and go into chaos and see what I think of everything. But I like the themes. It gives me something to, to focus on. I loved doing a theme in August. We did the tarot theme. It was awesome. I had three different 
leaders in the tarot community on the show. And I just really like that structure. I'm showing up on Patreon right now four times a month. So it's a lot of me, me, me. So I really like getting to shine a light on other people that I think are awesome, get their opinions, get their takes, take on whatever the subject is that month. But this month, it is all about me. <laughs> it's my birthday month, and there will be no interviews. It will just be me, me rambling at you. Um, and today, I would like to talk about fear, specifically fearing less. And this is something that I've I talked about on Patreon for an entire month. So the month I was on on this public podcast talking about Tarot, behind the scenes on Patreon, I was talking about fear. And I'm still thinking about it all the time. This is a major theme that literally the about page that I wrote for my business in 2012 before I put my website up is all about fear. And, and, uh, being a kick-ass switch is about fear and showing fear who is boss. And so this is an ongoing thing that I think about a lot. I've been thinking about it a ton this summer, this year. This current streak I blame on Benabel Wynn because Benabel came on the show to talk about, she's doing this amazing new tarot deck called the Spirit Keepers Tarot, I think. And she said something during that interview that had me, it just stopped me in my tracks. I was like, what? (laughs) She just straight up referred to herself as being fearless. She said, I am fearless. While I was talking to her, she just blatantly came out and said, I am fearless. And it really rocked my world because I don't even know if I believe in that. Like, can a person be without fear? I tend to focus on courage. We can be courageous, but to have no fear, to just say, I am fearless. I was just like, what? What? And then I just kept thinking about it and chewing on it. And she expanded on that a bit saying how, well, I was talking about how myself, my coaching clients, the people that my friends, the people that I know in the, in the witchy community, we tend to focus our magic on releasing, like releasing that which no longer serves. A lot of people are into cutting cords and just so much of it is focusing on releasing. This is just something I've noticed in recent years. It's like, wow, we really focus on this a lot. Releasing, releasing, letting things go, letting things go. And she's like, yeah, I don't do that. I just don't do that. My magic is focused on amplification. And again, it was like, what? It's so crazy when someone just like shatters your paradigm like that. You know, like, so what are you, you're saying you're fearless and all of your magic is, is only focused on amplification. So it just really caught me off guard. Uh, as I was in, saying on Patreon, I think Benabel is a stunning person. And I mean, I think she's stunningly beautiful, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, she's just a stunning person. She makes you stop and think, and I have a feeling that's intentional. Um, But I was just so intrigued by that confidence and just that statement about being fearless. And I, I broke the word in half, and I started thinking about fearing less, like fear less. How do we fear 
less because I, I was contemplating this idea of all this release work we're doing. Like, why are we doing all of this when we should be amplifying, right? If, if that's true. And I came to the conclusion that we are amplifying our energy. We are amplifying our focus. We are amplifying the love, the magic when we release our fear. It is an amplification of sorts. So to release is to amplify. And I started getting really excited about this idea of fearing less and taking back our power one piece, one moment at a time, like something that we can build on. So one of the first, if not the very first spiritual concepts that really set me on fire in my early 20s, once I had left Christianity and started poking around in the New Age world, was this idea of love versus fear, which I do feel now, um, looking back on everything that I learned about the Bible and Christianity, I actually feel like that is at the heart of the core of the spiritual teachings of Jesus when you strip away the fundamentalist dogma that's baked into the Bible and the church. Um, Jesus versus the devil, God versus Satan. To me, it's really just all about love versus fear. And again, this is just a paradigm. You can choose to accept it or not. It's one that I choose for myself. Um, I, I see love is God. I grew up with God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. I've shared this many times, but for those who haven't heard me say it one day, um, I used to write God is love all over everything. And one day, uh, I think it was in my Bible. I wrote love is God. I just flipped them around and I was like, Whoa, man, (laughs) it felt true. So if love is God, If love is this, uh, for those of you who are Abraham Hicks fans, uh, if love is this so-called vortex, love is the power that heals and creates all the best things this life has to offer, fear then can simply be seen as the absence of love, or you can see it as an oppositional force. Something that really fascinates me is, um, and, and I think, I think this is both helpful and harmful. I think our inclin our inclination as human beings, I think we are natural storytellers and we tend to anthropomorphize these energies to call them the devil or Satan or, or to make them into just an experience that we can understand, like the darkness of night as opposed to the lightness of day, or or to just simply call call it evil. It helps us wrap our minds around it, and then of course that can become a trap as well. And and I will I will get into that in a second here. But fear, fear is an amazing opponent to love because, because it wears so many different masks. It's a shapeshifter. And, and all the different faces that it wears can be so utterly convincing. It it knows the face to wear to impact you. It knows what mask is going to be the most triggering 
to you. What's scary is that there are corporations and political entities and religions that that have learned how to harness this and to keep you in check and and to to take your money, <laughs> to get your vote, uh, to control your behavior by tapping into your fear. This is what people learn in marketing is, is how to identify people's fear. And again, this can be used for good or for bad. Um, the good news is that love also wears many, many, many masks. And again, it, it, flip it around. It's an amazing opponent to fear. Love can kick fear's ass. And that's the good news. (laughs) If they are opposing forces, they are very well matched. It's interesting to me how through the stories of religion and politics, our fears are made more real to us through these kind of cartoon characters that even the smallest children understand. So Jesus is a light-filled, silky-haired hippie, smiling kindly, carrying a cute baby lamb in the crook of his elbow, and Satan is a bile-spewing red devil with horns and a pitchfork. (laughs) FYI to future evil dictators of the world, you can literally wipe out entire cultures by making the devil black. Jesus is white and the devil is black or brown. Easy peasy. Wrap it all up in a neat little bow. Yay us. Fuck you. Like this is the history of the world. It's and I really think it comes down to, again, harnessing people's fear and using it against them or against other people. And then just like that, fear wins. I, I don't believe that, am I going to go off on this tangent? I think I am. I think I am. Okay, so something that, I guess it doesn't confuse me. It just, it surprises me. Something that surprises me in the new age community. This is something that I think, mm, I maybe I've fallen victim to myself at some point in my life, but I think we're all vulnerable to is this personification of fear, the fear of the other fear of people that aren't like ourselves, but also like these people in the new age community that have rejected, let's say Christianity or the Bible, the, 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 the fear stories that they grew up with. A lot of times they'll gravitate into the new age community and then they get caught up in these conspiracy theories that end up, creating the fear versus love dynamic for them, but also like in a very manipulated, agenda-driven way that literally, let's, let's just say, it replaces the devil with reptilians or the Illuminati. And I personally don't believe, I don't believe that there is some... Illuminati or these reptilian figures, like you'll see people, these conspiracy theorists, they'll like freeze a politician speaking or a journalist delivering the news. They'll like freeze the frame, the video mid blink. So the person looks like weird and they'll be like, ha, you see it? They're a reptilian. Look at their eyes. And I'm, I'm looking at them like they're literally just in the middle of a blink. How, how does people not see this? And then you go and you look at the comments and everyone's like, I knew it. I can see it. She's a reptilian. She's a reptile. Uh, 
believe there are conspiracies to enslave the human race in that way, although that is the outcome. That is the outcome, and it's fitting that people would call them reptilians because the reptilian part of our brain is the fear center of our brain. So metaphorically, it makes sense, but it gets all kinds of crazy fucked up when you start taking this stuff very, very literally. I think the main conspiracy that has created this so-called prison planet um, is simply greed. It's just greed. It's just the drive to accumulate and hoard as much wealth and power and control as possible. That's who this evil Illuminati is. Greed is their master because greed is the desire for power over control, infinite security, superiority, privilege, which are all fancy ways of saying fear. Fear. It denotes a distinct lack of faith, the absence of love. Calling them reptilians in a metaphorical sense is like, okay, fine. (laughs) And there are enough people who want to do that that you you can have a whole community of people that believe this. But I just wish I would just like to rip the wig off of that situation and be like, you know, this is all a metaphor, right? We're speaking in metaphors. (sighs) The Bible did that too. When myth, when myth, like when uh, an uh, allegory or a tale that's meant to be instructive, when it becomes misinterpreted as being literal, it becomes a tool of divisiveness instead of just like a spiritual allegory. It's, uh, uh, I'm trying not to go too far down that road because I could just sit here and ramble about it for a very long time, but... We'll never stop telling these stories, whether it's through the Bible or it's whether through it's through these strange conspiracy theories or tarot, whether we understand it as a metaphor or whether we're believing it as literal gospel truth and we become fundamentalists. We need these stories to survive. Um, I also don't think it's an accident that in the summer that I am confronting a bunch of old fears and thinking a lot about fear that I gravitated towards Stephen King. <laughs> I've avoided Stephen King's work my entire life because I don't like horror or I thought I didn't like horror and now I'm loving it. And um, that's the power of story, right? I wanted to see my fear finally at last. I was ready to see it. Enter Stephen King, stage left. (laughs) Uh, I guess my point in in going off on this tangent about stories and anthropomorphization and metaphors versus fundamentalism is these things can become a trap or they can set you free. And again, it it comes back down to fear versus love. One of the most powerful things that I have done on my decluttering journey, which began in earnest, like a serious decluttering journey, started for me in the summer of 2015. (laughs) Last year, uh, I did something called Catalyst Camp. Dana, I can't remember her last name right now, Uh, but she has you go through your home with a notebook pretending that you're a stranger and then you write down, you tell the story of your home. So if like get into the mindset of a stranger and then walk through your home. So like what story is this laundry room telling about the people that live here? What story is this kitchen telling? It is one of the most powerful mind blowing things I have ever done. (laughs) 
it was amazing. Uh, and I've been decluttering a lot this summer as well. And something that I was recently talking about on uh, Patreon is this this mountain of crap that I had in my foyer. I live in a really old house. There's not a lot of storage here. So in throwing a lot of things away, giving a lot of things away, releasing a lot of things, I ended up with this mountain of stuff that I didn't know where to put. It, were, it, was, it was a pile of things that I was not ready to get rid of, but there was no place for it in my house because this house is over 100 years old, so the closets are very small because consumerism wasn't such a thing back then. <laughs> People didn't have, like, Kim Kardashian wardrobes. Like, all their stuff fit in, like, a coffin-sized closet, basically. <laughs> so there's not a lot of place to put my stuff. And so I had this weird mountain of stuff in my foyer, and it was very... It was a mountain of really charged things, things that had a lot of emotional energy to them uh, that I avoided for a long time, and I really started going through it. I, I've gotten I've gotten rid of the mountain people, but it took me some time, and it ended in a yard sale. <laughs> uh, but I was talking about how in decluttering this one, the foyer, uh, and this, and really getting into this mountain of clutter, basically, it was like opening Pandora's box. All these fears flew out, and I was able to finally face them. I have been having all these fears ever since I went through the pile of junk present themselves to me. It has not stopped. It's fascinating. I got rid of the junk, and it seemed to again like open this Pandora, Pandora's box of fear. And I guess I was finally ready to deal with them because instead of shoving them back down into the shadows when they come up, reaching for like my favorite coping mechanisms, I just see it. I can just see the fear and I'm like, oh my God, there you are. Huh. You, you've been here my whole life. Hey, friend. <laughs> and I'm able to release it. It has been very strange. I've released a lot of weird, unkind, impatient, neglectful behaviors, uh, noticing the ways that fear has shaped my life and releasing these fears one at a time as they come up, I feel more free, more empowered. It, it has been an amplification in releasing my stuff, Benabelle, if you're listening to this. <laughs> it's been an amazing amplification of love, of magic. And the weird thing is, is just in feeling the fear, acknowledging it and saying, oh, there you are. Hey now, hey now. Uh, it just, I'm able to let it go quite simply and without struggle. So feel, fear, feel, blah, blah, blah. Feel the fear and do it anyway is the title of a book, but I just love it as kind of a slogan. Uh, but I've come to see now I used to think of feel the fear and do it anyway as like pushing through despite the misery. And now I'm seeing like, oh, it actually can just be like, oh, feel the fear for a second, for a couple of seconds and then let it go and then go do the thing you're afraid of. It's about how in feeling the fear, you are freeing it. You're setting it free and in effect, 
yourself free to do the thing that it is you want to do, but you are too afraid to do. And then this is where it gets tricky. You have to do the scary thing to feel the scary feeling so that you can keep doing the scary thing long enough to get somewhere. And then once you get there, you will again be met by the unknown and then pow, just like that, fear is back. <laughs> and you have to deal with it over and over and over again. Um, because anytime that you move beyond fear, anytime you move outside your comfort zone, or as I like to call it, the zone of lies, anytime you get past that, you're going to find yourself in unfamiliar territory, which tends to bring up more fear and a whole arsenal of old familiar coping mechanisms. And that's when people achieve something truly significant, something that changes the world's perception of who they are, something that takes them to the next level in their career or personal development. And then they immediately follow that up with self-sabotage. <laughs> so it becomes like this dance between love and fear and love and fear and an acceptance that the fear is there. And that it's going to keep showing up again and again and again and again, just like Jesus kept tempting, or the devil kept tempting Jesus, like out in the desert for however many, 40 days and 40 nights, is that how long it was? It's like a metaphor for life, like fear, the devil of fear is always there to greet you when you reach the next level. So learning how to feel the fear instead of Pushing it into the shadows is a trick to staying in motion, to amplifying your, amplifying your magic, to living a life of love, building faith and trust in yourself that you can handle whatever comes your way. Uh, so it's amazing that you'll see people like really push through to the next level of their life. It's so impressive. It's so amazing. They're stepping outside the expectations for their own lives, they're blowing their own mind, they're blowing the minds of the people around them, and then mysteriously they self-sabotage. They dramatically screw up the opportunities somehow. Uh, some of us do this before the payoff. Some of us do it when the happy good news thing we're working towards starts getting too close and challenging our perceptions of ourselves. And then we're like, ah, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> we kind of, we let fear like, woo, send us scurrying away. And then we screw up our reputations. We screw up our faith in ourselves. This is something I know very, very well. It's something I've done many, many times. Uh, many people can learn to hang at the new level. So maybe they, they grew up in poverty they were determined to create a life of wealth for themselves, but they don't have the, the spiritual maturity to understand how to cope with it in a fun, loving, enjoyable way. They like continue to suffer. And so they somehow managed to maintain the, the wealth, but then they reached for some kind of unhealthy habit or comfy old addiction or toxic behavior to try to adjust to the new level without having a nervous breakdown because they don't feel worthy of it, because it's outside the paradigm that they grew up in, because they feel guilt, because they're afraid it's all going to be taken away at any moment, things like that. So if you can learn to identify what those behaviors are for you, if you will take the time to familiarize yourself with what those old familiar coping mechanisms are, 
that you continually reach for again and again, you will have the keys to setting yourself free. I think it's a good idea to just start. I mean, you can keep a list of, I think this is a really good idea. (laughs) Hear me out. Because I know people don't like looking at these parts of themselves, but I'm telling you there's freedom in feeling the fear and doing it anyway, but you can't feel the fear if you can't even see it, if you don't even know what it looks like. And again, because fear is a shapeshifter, fear can be such a liar. Fear knows the exact right mask to wear to get away with what it wants to get away with without you even realizing it. So you have to start kind of reverse engineering your freedom and looking at the physical manifestations of your fear, the actions of your fear. So it's good to keep a list. So you start noticing one of your coping mechanisms. Think of these as writing down your coping mechanisms. It might be eating a Costco-sized bag of salt and vinegar chips in one sitting. It could be sex with your ex. It could be whiskey. It could be super judgmental of other people. It could be binging and purging. It could be picking at your skin. It could be picking fights with strangers on the internet. Whatever it is for you, write it down. Keep a list because if you can identify the unwanted thoughts and feelings that go with it, the thoughts you know the ice cream will silence, (laughs) then you can really start to challenge those thoughts and set yourself free. Once you recognize, too, that those behaviors are an act of self-preservation, once you see that they are simply how you self-soothe the frightened parts of yourself, for me, that was clutter. I was a major, major clutter bug. It was like one of my defining characteristics. I am a cluttery person. (laughs) That was how I kept myself feeling safe. Once I connected to this idea that, holy crap, that's my fear. I'm like wearing my fear all over my house to keep other people out and to help myself feel safe. Um, Once you can recognize that, you can start to... Use those behaviors, those actions, those physical manifestations as triggers to go deeper. So if ice cream is your thing, you can then start to catch yourself mid-zombie walk into the kitchen just before you open the freezer and start spooning Ben and Jerry straight into your face from the tub. (laughs) You catch yourself. You're like, wait a minute. What am I doing? (laughs) What just happened? And then... This is where self-talk comes in. You can be like, oh, no, wait, what's wrong, sweetheart? What are you afraid of? What just happened? Why are we doing this? What are we afraid of? What's going on here? And it gives you the opportunity to take a pause and ask yourself, why am I making a beeline for the Ben and Jerry's? What is going on here? And then if you listen and you wait for an answer, the answer will come. If you genuinely want to know why you are diving headfirst into that tub of ice cream and you, and, and you wait for an answer, it will come. Again, I find that it helps to write it down, to literally give your thoughts form, like to put them out where you can see them. So I just, this is what I do. I just reach for the first napkin, receipt, post-it note. I have post-it notes all over my house. Um, the first piece of paper that you can get your hands on, right across the top of it, what am I afraid of? And then without giving it thought, without analyzing it, just write the first answer that pops into your head. 
because that's usually going to be right on. You're going to hit the bullseye as long as you don't get into analyzing it. Just let the first answer come to you. What am I afraid of? And then write it down. And um, you can definitely do this all in your head. Uh, Sometimes I personally, this is just personal to me. I don't know if this is something that's universal, but I can't identify, sometimes I can't identify my thoughts and fears without writing them down first. Sometimes I actually have to write out the question, what am I afraid of? And then I have to write the answer down. Sometimes I don't know how I feel about something until I see it written down. (laughs) So maybe that would be helpful for you too. I don't know. Um, Sometimes I know that I feel anxious or I'm spinning out a little bit. Like I'm like, holy moly. I'm being super judgmental today, or I feel really anxious, my heart is fluttering, or I have like this weird fear feeling in my solar plexus, but I don't even know why. I don't even know why. I just get the feeling without even having a thought. So I scribble it out on paper, um, which is why there are 10 jillion little pieces of paper floating around me at all times. I move in a cyclone of paper, (laughs) and I often don't even return to the paper to do anything with it. It's just about getting it out of my head and out where I can see it. So then you can just rip the paper up and throw it away. Like once you've seen it, you can just burn it, throw it away. It it can be really cathartic to rip it up and throw it away. Um, Something about feeling the pen in my hand pressing against the surface of the paper on the table, like the scrawly sound of it, it brings me into my body long enough to feel and see the thought and the resulting, to to see the emotion in a way so that I can let it go. Um, And I guess I'm able to let it go because I have developed empathy for myself and compassion for the frightened parts of myself, which brings me that much closer to love, bringing this back to fear and love. It's a self-loving thing to do, to acknowledge the fear and then accept the opportunity to self-parent myself with some positive self-talk that leads to the next right action um, instead of sabotaging myself in the moment or strengthening that neural pathway of fear. Learning to have empathy for ourselves is just as important as having empathy for other people. And I have found that empathy for other people comes more easily when you have it for yourself, when you have empathy for the frightened parts of yourself, because those frightened parts of ourselves is where so much damage is done and bad choices are made. And until you make that connection, the bad choices and the damage continues under the cover of night below the radar of your awareness. And then fear becomes your driving narrative. Fear gets to tell the story of your life. This is, I guess, why we like the metaphor for light and darkness. It's like shedding the light Shedding light on fear makes it scatter like cockroaches. It does not like it. (laughs) Do you want to scare fear? Do you want to make fear feel fear? Turn on the light of awareness. It's magical. And again, I think that's why uh, in finally acknowledging like the clutter, these mountains of things, it's a fear reaction. It's my coping mechanism. It's my behavior for dealing with fear. It's how I keep other people out. It's how I, it's how I remain unseen. It's how I hide. Some people do that with weight, like putting on extra body weight. I just did it with shit in my house. 
cluttery stuff. Once I could see that that was what I was doing, I could see how fear was literally shaping my life in a physical way, and then I was able to let it go. Another... Another way to think about this is like, what are the byproducts of love and fear? Because we have a lot of different words, right, that that represent love and fear. Um, Empathy, like I was just talking about empathy. Empathy is a byproduct of love. While impatience, for example, is a byproduct of fear. So let's say... Two, pe- two people can witness the same exact event at the same exact time and tell two completely different stories about what is happening. So, for example, let's say there's a schizophrenic homeless man holding up traffic because he is having an intense yelling match with someone that the rest of us can't see, and he is doing this in the middle of a busy intersection Uh, during morning traffic when everybody's trying to get to work. One person stuck in that traffic jam sees that man and feels furious at this grotesque waste of space for making everyone who matters late for whatever it is they need to be. While the person in the car next to him sees this man and feels immediate concern for his safety and can see that under different circumstances, this schizophrenic homeless man could be his or her son or grandfather or even themselves standing out there covered in grime, sunburnt to the bone, and in imminent danger of being hit by a car. They see the life being lived. They see the human being. They see this person needs help. One event Two totally different stories and two completely different reactions because of the stories that are being told. One is a story of fear. I'm going to be late. This guy is making me late. This guy is not even human. He's just an obstacle in my path is one story. And then the story of love. Where's this guy's mother? Oh, my gosh. Let's help this guy out. He needs help. That could be me. That could be my child. I believe we all live somewhere between these two forces. The space between love and fear is a spectrum, and we all move back and forth on the spectrum depending on the day, depending on the situation, depending on our level of awareness, and depending on our commitment to love. Maintaining a daily commitment to love is not, it's not some meaningless woo-woo platitude. It's about saying, it's about staying in your power. As the co-creator of your reality, as the co-creator of your experience, one half of that co is the mysterious God force that puts the schizophrenic homeless man on your path on a busy Monday morning, and the other half of that co is the way you react to him. And your half of the equation is no small thing. It is everything. It's all you've got. It's your power. It's your personal power. Um, You'll often hear me say that the now, the present moment, is your point of power as a witch, as a law of attraction practitioner, as a deliberate creator of any kind, as a good Christian, if that's what you want to be. If you want to be Christ-like, your power is in the present moment. And whether or not you will choose the story of love or the story of fear, which story are you going to tell in the present moment? Fear robs us of that power. 
fear robs us of the of our point of power because it robs us of the present moment. It sends us reeling into the past with guilt and regret, or it sends us, you know, hurtling into the future with worry, and it takes us right out of our point of power. So I want to end this thing today by giving you two tools that I find extremely helpful in taking back your power. I guess there's three because I was talking about writing down the process of writing down the behaviors and kind of reverse engineering. I think that's an amazing tool. So I'll give you two more. Um, The first is super simple and you can do it in a matter of seconds. And then the second is more of a process for releasing some of the more stubborn fears that, that keep hanging around, like the ones that you've been carrying around with you your entire life. So the first is this. Ask yourself whenever you bump up against a scary phone call or decision or situation, just simply ask yourself, what would love do? What would love do? And then do that thing. <laughs> what would love do in this situation? Uh, I, I use this with different archetypes I work with. What would a queen do in this situation? I pull out the queen for the scary phone calls and, and she helps me a lot. <laughs> What would Jesus do? What would Oprah do in this situation? You can personify it if that's what gets you into motion. Ask yourself what would love do and then do it. How would love respond to this trigger? How would love respond to this challenge? How would love respond to this purposely divisive, politically charged message designed to make me shut down? What would love do? That is a question you can ask all day long as you go about your day, as you're learning to to tell a different story about your life. The second thing is a process that Byron Katie developed called The Work. You can get free workshops or worksheets and processes if you go to thework.com. I'm affiliated with Byron Katie in no way. (laughs) Not at all. I just think this is an amazing tool. I have this printed out and taped to the door where my kitchen altar is, like over where my kitchen altar is, because I like to go through this sometimes when I feel stuck. So the work is, it's basically four questions that you ask of a sticky, sticky situation, a judgment you have on another person, a judgment you have on yourself, a judgment you have on your life. When you get a bad case of the I can'ts, I can't do that. I'm not able to do this. This will never happen. It's never going to happen. These are the four questions you ask. I recommend you just go to the work and print out the free workshop worksheet yourself and tape it up somewhere if you want to do this work. But I'll just read the questions for you very quickly before I go. Uh, let's see. Number one, is it true? Is this thought I'm having true? Yes or no? If no, you get to skip to question three. If yes, you move to question two. Question number two is, can you absolutely know that it's true? Yes or no? Question three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? What is the behavior? What is the feeling that happens when you believe that thought? Number four, who would you be without the thought? Who would you be without the thought? This is an awesome technique for challenging the stories of your shadow, by the way. (laughs) I love it. So I'm going to wrap this up. I'll be back here next week talking at you about something new, something new.
And uh, I hope you enjoyed this. If you want to do the Psycho Spiritual Wheel of the Year, follow the link around here to get the Autumn Equinox module. Don't forget to put in at checkout code or at checkout the code all the things, all lowercase, no spaces, all the things, and it will roll 30 bucks off the price. Until we meet again, have an amazing week. Much love to you. Peace.